Uh, we're going to be ending our series today, Building Overcomers. It was our original Easter series, so we kicked off our series talking about over, being overcomers of sin, how that through Christ's death, sin was defeated, and Jesus then built a bridge and a way for all of us to get back to God through Christ. And then after that, week two, we talked about being overcomers of the fear of death. We talked about how that as believers, that as Christ rose again and defeated death, hell, and the grave, so shall we who are in Christ. And then last week, in a very practical way, we talked about overcoming the old man. Uh, that was a very practical message because I think most of us realize this, but, but you still have your old sinful nature that still is battling for first place in your life. And we talked about from a very, very practical standpoint, how to walk in resurrection power. Now knowing that you have been raised, the Bible says if any man who is in Christ, you become a new creature, then there's a, a new way of walking, a new way of talking. And, and so we talked about how that if we feed our spirit, man, the more we feed our spirits, uh, the more likely we'll be able to overcome the lusts and the dictates of our fleshly appetites. So today we're going to talk about overcoming critics through preaching the resurrection overcoming critics how many know that as christians we face a lot of critics unless you live on another planet unless you haven't been paying attention christianity is under severe and I, i'm not even i'm not over saying that stating that fact that christianity is under severe attack in our nation and I really believe not since the beginning of our nation has Christianity been in such an attack. And I don't think it's just exclusive to America. I think it's an attack all over the world. But I believe that the critics are operating in a spirit that is derived from Satan. Satan's goal is to use arguments and vain philosophies to try and overthrow the credibility of the gospel message. And so the gospel message has always been and will always be the power of God when it is preached the way that it should be preached. I'm, a, I'm big on testimonies. I think testimonies is a very, very powerful tool when it comes to uh, sharing our faith. But I think that our testimony and, 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 and anything that we share about our faith should always be rooted in the, in the reality of the, the resurrection. Because when you look back in the Bible, you see that Jesus was, right from the beginning of his ministry, he was laying the foundation for the resurrection. Jesus was really outlining the fact that the resurrection would be the key to his entire ministry. Everything about the gospel, everything about what Jesus did, it all hinged upon the fact that he would rise again from the dead. Now, the enemy don't want us to talk much about the resurrection. He don't want us to talk about it. He want to talk about other things, about just, you know, feel-good messages, and he, he wants to somehow just kind of overlook that reality because there's a gospel today of universalism, which is not the true gospel. Y'all understand what I mean by that. There, the, there, there, the gospel of universalism does not exist. It is a false doctrine that is rooted in false philosophies. 
And so here's what the enemy want to do. The enemy wants us to be intimidated to the degree that he don't want us preaching the gospel. And certainly don't want us talking about the resurrection because you got to understand something, church, that the resurrection is it, it gives the gospel all the credibility that it needs. For example, when Jesus, when he went and he starts saying things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. No one can come to the Father except through me. Y'all remember Jesus said that. One time Jesus even said to the fact, Jesus referenced the fact that he was God. He says, when you see, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Y'all remember Jesus said that? He said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus has always existed with the Father. He is, in fact, God in flesh. How would we ever know if what Jesus said was any different than any other quote unquote lunatic out there without the fact, though, that God pulls him up out of that grave? So the resurrection and the gospel message is most powerful when it's always preached within the context of the resurrection. Jesus, as I said a second ago, Jesus said in Luke chapter nine, verse twenty two. He said, the son of man must suffer many things. He will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he'll be killed. Look at that. But how many know the story doesn't end there? And he'll be raised the third day. So right from the beginning of Jesus' message, his ministry, he began laying the groundwork for the resurrection. And what Jesus was really telegraphing there was that the, he, he knew this, and I, I believe that the church got to know this. Because I don't believe we need to reinvent the wheel. I really believe we just need to go back to the basics. <laughs> I believe we just need to go back to the Bible and see how they did it. And then we need to move in that same spirit. See, Jesus knew that the resurrection would be the key to the power of the gospel. He understood it. He knew it. Every ministry, everything he did hinged on that reality. Take that away, then the gospel becomes watered down, and it begins to fizzle in with every other so-called religion that is out there. And so when we fail to emphasize the resurrection, when we're talking about our faith. Now, I said a moment ago, I talked about critics. You're going to have critics. People are going to criticize what you believe, particularly if you're going to be really serious about preaching the gospel. If you're going to tell people the truth. Now, if you want to be one of those who don't want to talk about your faith, you want to kind of keep you hidden, then, you know, it's different. But if you're going to be true to the gospel, you're going to face some fierce opposition. People are going to isolate you. They're going to put you in a corner. They're going to say all manner of things against you. And you need to be able to defend the gospel. You need to be able to do it. And the primary way, and, I, and I've studied this thing, and, and what I began to see was that the primary way that they defended the gospel was they defended it in the context of the resurrection. You know why? Because the tomb was empty. They couldn't do anything about it. So every time this thing about the resurrection came up, people got upset about it. Because where is the evidence? Because the body was missing. And as long as the body is missing, then the resurrection stands firm. So the early church, they demonstrated how it was to be done. And we got to do the same church. We got to defend the faith. How many know that we're living in a, in, a, in, a, in a generation where they say truly knowledge is power? I believe at no other time in our history is information and knowledge have become more accessible. But what the devil wants to do is he want to pervert that knowledge and perverted knowledge, perverted knowledge leads to deception. 
And that's and, and we have a, such a deception today that the people of God got to really be in tune. We got to be paying attention. We got to be careful. We got to know what we know. We got to be able to articulate what we believe. And we need to be able to defend it. Because when somebody come to you and say, why do I need to believe your gospel? Why do I need to, be, why do I need to go to church? Why, why is Jesus any different than anything else? What would you say? When somebody come to you and they pose that question to you, what are you going to say? Well, I just, I just feel like he's different. And I just feel it in my heart. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not going to be enough. You got to be able to articulate this thing. You, how many know that we are called to defend the faith? In fact, let's look at that a little bit. Uh, uh, Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Now look at this. So Jude here is writing to the saints. Here's the context. He says now, in the beginning, Jude said now, and this is in, in, it's only one chapter in, in Jude. It's only one chapter. But in verse 3, Jude begins to say, he said, listen, I was going to just write about common salvation. Let's talk about something else relating to your faith. But, but, but he says something happened in my spirit. I sense then there an urgency that I need to call you to defend the faith. Let's look at this in verse number three in Jude. He says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, watch this, to fight or to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Church, let me ask you this question today. Who is going to defend the faith today? The Apostle Paul is not here. Jesus is not here physically. His presence, he's not here. Remember, he said, I'm going to do greater work. He said, you're going to do greater works than I did because I'm going to the Father. How I many you know that as Jude wrote to the early church, I believe that the urgency that he had in that day that we have if on par, if not greater sense of urgency today that we got to defend the faith. In other words, in other words, church, we just can't sit idly by and let people trample on the gospel. Are y'all hearing me, church? We can't let people trample on the gospel, say all men are evil against Jesus Christ. Take his name in vain. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Marginalize Christianity to, to just some other neat little thing. That's your way. You got your way. I got my way. Church, we know the truth. There ain't but one way. And that way is through Jesus Christ. Now, if the church is not defending that, then we become watered down and we will have no power because the power is in the preaching of the gospel. And when you truly preach the gospel, you preach the resurrection. And when you preach the resurrection, it gives the gospel credibility because men can't do anything with that. Because Jesus overcame it. He overcame the thing that men fear the most, death. Jesus says, death ain't got nothing on me. And as a consequence of that church, get this into your spirit. We can boldly say what we got to say, and we got to always reference it back to the resurrection every single time. All we got to do is we got to say it. We got to proclaim it. But we cannot be, we cannot be sitting back and, and, you know, because how many know that Joshua was, a, Joshua was a bad dude in his generation? Come on, say amen. How many know that David was an awesome man in his generation? Elijah was awesome in his generation. I mean, no, that that was their generation. 
But how many know that this is the new Joshua generation? This is our generation. What will they record about us? What will be said of us? We are called to defend the faith. We're called to do that. We just can't sit back and say, well, I, I hope that one day that somehow that uh, something happens and the people will just get it. But I'm just going to hunker down in my little house, be quiet, and just wait for Jesus to come back and live my Christianity, my Christianity quietly. Because I don't want to offend anybody. How many know, church, that on a regular basis, Jesus offended people? The gospel is offensive. Because some, how many know that sometimes the truth hurts? Y'all with y'all what I'm saying? See, if my breath stinks and you're walking around and every time you come to pastor and you say, and you walk away, you say, oh, pastor, his breath is absolutely terrible. And I won't really get free of that till somebody have the guts to come up and say, pastor, can I say something to you? Take the mint, pastor. I don't want to take the mint, pastor. There's an issue. How many of you know I won't get free? I hope y'all ain't laughing because that's true. But if it, if it is, I guess I'll get free today. Hallelujah. But the truth, it will make you free. And we as a church, how many know that, yes, people may not want to hear it and it may be offensive. But how many know Jesus said the truth will make men free. If you ain't saying the truth because you're scared or you're intimidated, then people will never, ever get free. And how many know that we are in the freedom business? We're the people that unlock the door so that people can get to freedom in Jesus. That's our job. That's what we do. That's what we do. So we're called to defend the faith. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter even brings it home even more perfectly. But he says, sanctify the Lord God. In other words, set God apart in your hearts. Magnify him in your hearts. Make Jesus first place. Exalt him. Make him first in your life. Sanctify. That's what it means to set him apart. Set him apart from everything else. How many know Jesus is greater than everything else? And he needs to be sanctified in our hearts in that way. To sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always, always be ready to give a defense. Everybody say defense. Yeah, come on, everybody say defense. Come on. That means everything. I say everybody, that means everybody. So if you get so, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. That's what he's telling us to do. Defend the faith. Don't just sit by and just Watch like, hey, I'm on the sidelines. That's Pastor Bailey's job. How many know that it ain't just Pastor Bailey's job to defend the faith? It's everybody who calls himself a Christian. It's all of our jobs to defend the faith. Everybody in this room. He said, defend the faith to who? To everyone who asks you. To everybody who comes to you and they will ask you a reason for the hope that is in you. But just do it with respect. We don't have to be, we don't have to be rude and, 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 uh, and, and, and mean to people. We always, we always want to be gentle. We always want to do it with meekness and with fear, with respect. That's what Peter is saying. But we got to be ready. The, the key point of that particular passage was be ready. Be ready. You know, uh, T.D. Jakes used to have this saying years ago. I don't even know if he said it anymore. But he used to have this. This thing, get ready, get ready, get ready. Y'all remember that? He's always said, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. How many know the church ought to be ready? Come on, we ought to be ready. We got to defend this thing, man. We got to know what we're talking about. And I really believe, and I hate to say this, but Lord, Lord, help me to say it right. 
I believe that a lot of times we don't share our faith because we're afraid that we won't know how to articulate it and to, to defend it. So what we do is we don't talk about it. And how many know that every atheist who, are, who is out there, unbelievers, atheists who are out there, I'm, I want you to think, I mean, they're out there and they're coming in, they're coming in with all kind of arguments and we're at war and they're telling people one thing, man, and they're just trying to discredit the gospel. And we just kind of sit back and say, okay, well, you know, if God wanted me to know it, He'll find a way to get it to him. You ever thought that you might be that way? <laughs> you ever thought that perhaps it's you that God want to use to influence somebody else's life? You ever thought that perhaps your silence could lead somebody to a destination that we don't want them to go? Have you ever thought about that? Church, this is serious. We're talking about life. This is, this is life and death issue. And so let me go back now to this so we're called to defend the faith. So let's go back to this forceful case for preaching the resurrection. Now, you heard me for the entirety of this month read this particular passage. But I want you to understand the particular passage in the context that I'm saying, I'm saying it to you this morning. Because we have to preach the resurrection. We have to stick to the resurrection. We have to keep listening to me. And I want to say this and hope I say it right in a way you understand Wait, you can understand it. We have to keep the resurrection. We keep, we got to keep throwing it in people's faces. You know why? Because the tomb is empty. And that sets everything. Let me tell you something. The tomb is empty. And, 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 and it's a, the, the preaching of the resurrection, I'm telling you right now, people are going to get free. Because how many know, I really believe that there's an appetite. I do believe this now. Hear me. There's an appetite for truth. It's out there. There's an appetite for it. Somebody out there among all the many things that somebody right now outside of these doors that is trying to figure out, they don't go to church and they won't even attend church because they, think they, they, they see no difference in that in the world and they see it as all the same. They, they say, you know, I'm not going to waste my time because I don't see a reason to. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I don't know. Why do I need to go to church? I, can, I got Sundays off. I can Saturdays off. I can wash my car. I can clean. I don't. Why do I need to do all of this? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So so when when we preach the resurrection and the fact that Jesus got up, man, it catapults Christianity far above everything else. Because we start talking about all the other different types of religion. Listen, they ain't got none on the resurrection. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Look at the name and say Jesus got up. He, he got up. Now watch it. So Paul, again, he says it. I want you to get it. I'm going to read it because I think it will become more understandable to you as I read it. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, look, look at this. He said, if Christ is raised, he's been, if Christ is preached, here's what, here's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, now when I preach, every time I preach, I preach Christ in the resurrection. I'm going to give you a verse. I'm going to show you that here in a moment. Uh, I'm going to show you a wonderful uh, chapter in, in Acts chapter 13, 17, how Paul, how Paul was preaching met them where they were, and then brought them right back to the resurrection. we got to bring them back. See, I believe sometimes we, without preaching the resurrection church, we're preaching an incomplete gospel. We're preaching an incomplete gospel, man, because we're just telling people, because people need to be convinced that Jesus is real. Are you hearing me? People need to be convinced that they are accountable to Jesus Christ. They must be, they need to be convinced of this reality. He says, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you, how do some among you 
say that there's no resurrection of the dead, and if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, your faith is also empty, yes, and we are false witnesses of God because we've testified to God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise, but if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still a sinner destined to die. Here's what, in essence, Paul is saying. Paul is saying, if Christ didn't rise again from the dead, all those miracles and all that stuff he did, it means zilch. How many know Jesus did supernatural, he, all kinds of things? Paul said, if he didn't get up from the grave, none of it really matters. It was good. People fed. People got healed. All that good stuff. But, but from a spiritual standpoint, it changes nothing. This is why I don't. This is why I don't get all beat up when people start plastering pictures on TV. I'm just saying these are people that are hungry. I mean, I have mercy and compassion, but I know their real need is spiritual. Y'all hear what I'm saying? See, we are all about the flesh. We live in a generation that's all about the flesh. You know, world, you know, world hunger organizations, they do a good work. It's good to feed the hungry, and we should do that. It's good to clothe the poor, and we should do that. But here's the problem, church. If we leave it there and we don't address the reason why man is in that condition in the first place, all we did was put a patch on and, and, and prepared him for ultimate death, which is that's what's going to happen because we didn't change the course of direction because we didn't preach the gospel. I mean, no, the gospel saved them, set them free for eternity. So our gospel message, this is why I always say, if you're going to feed the hungry and the poor, and there are some people, you know, and there are some folks, they just love doing that. And, and that's good. But man, but they don't want to say nothing about the gospel. I always like, why do you want to talk about that? Because don't you understand the most pressing need of, of, of any people upon the planet of this earth? The most pressing need is to be saved from their sins. <laughs> and, and giving them food don't save them from their sins. I'll hear what I'm saying. I'm not knocking it. Feed, giving them clothes, don't save them from their sins. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, church? So we can't have one without the other. So I'm not knocking that, but we have to do it. And so Paul drives home the point. Paul was like, look, y'all got to understand something because I don't believe they understood this. That's why Paul had to spend some time in 1 Corinthians. He said, y'all don't understand how important the resurrection is. Y'all, do y'all get this? Y'all don't even get it. Y'all are sitting here saying, well, some saying it happened, some say it didn't. Paul's like, are y'all nuts? Do you not understand that if this thing, if he didn't get up, then everything he said, there's no real credibility there? Do y'all not understand that, that, that your whole faith and everything about what we believe hinge on the fact that he got up out of that grave? Are y'all hearing me? Everything we know about our Christianity rests on the fact of the resurrection. That's the case that Paul was making. So why aren't we preaching resurrection the way that we should be preaching resurrection? If our whole faith is, 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 is relies upon it, then why don't we talk about it the way that we should? Now, let, let's keep going with this thing, because I think God, the Holy Spirit is going to help us. We're going to learn something this morning. So Paul said it this way in, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15 verse 1 and 3. I read it a moment ago. Paul just, Paul just kind of gives us a recipe. He says, brother, here it is. And this is, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase here for time's sake. Paul says, look, you know, brother, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. Here's the gospel. Here it is in a nutshell. Here's the gospel. Everybody say gospel. gospel. Here's the gospel. The gospel is what? The gospel is not just your testimony. It's not the gospel. It's the testimony. It's the, it, 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 it helps bring some context to what God did for you. But your testimony is not the gospel unless the, it's rooted in what 
the gospel is as Paul defined it. He said, here it is, more brother, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also I received, and which also you stand, by which you are saved. Here it is. Verse 3. For I've delivered to you, first of all, that, that uh, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, number one, according to the scripture, that he was raised, um, I'm sorry, and that he was, uh, he died for our sins, according to the scripture, verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. That was it. That's the essence of the gospel. So watch, your testimony. So some of us need to practice your testimony. Our testimony got to be within the context of that. That the fact that he, he died, he was buried, and he rose. He said, this is the gospel message. This is what it's all about right here. And he wants us to understand it. In Acts chapter 4, let me show you a couple examples of, um, uh, of, of how the apostles and uh, the disciples, how they preached the resurrection. Then we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 17. In fact, I want you to go over to Acts chapter 17 now. I'm going to read a couple of verses before I go to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read a couple of verses. So watch. So in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now I want you to just park at Acts chapter 17 in your Bible. I want you to just park there. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, what listen, this is Peter and John preaching the resurrection. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus. Watch this. They preached in Jesus. What did they preach? Resurrection from the dead. See? That's what they preached. The apostles, and uh, they did the same thing in Acts 4.33. And with great power, Acts 4.33, look at this. And with great power, everybody say power. power. See, that's, see, how many know that people don't get saved without power? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It's the power of God. See, it's Holy Spirit power that saves people. You got to have power. He says now, watch, and with great power. What's this power coming from? The apostle gave witness to the what? Come on, say it loud. Who's, who's with me? Come on. Come on, say it louder. Come on. They gave what to? They gave to what? And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And watch this. And as a consequence of that, what fell upon all of them? Did it say grace? No, I don't say grace. What does it say? There you go. Great grace. In other words, church, the anointing and the power of God came as a result of them preaching and giving witness to the resurrection. Because that's what, if you read the book of Acts, that's what got them upset more than anything else, man. You know, because you think about those are the people that were living in that time. Boy, they just got upset about that resurrection thing, man, because you can hear it in the back of their mind. Dog on it, where's the body? We know it's somewhere. Because if they could find a body, then they could, they could overthrow Christianity. But, but, and Paul knew that he was gone. Paul knew it. How many of you know Jesus is not here? How many of you know, how many you believe he's at the right hand of God the Father? Come on, give Jesus, come on, give him praise if you believe that. You better act like it. He ain't here, church. He's up there. He's, and he rose again from the dead. But, but, but look at this in, in, in Acts chapter, uh, let's look at um, Look at Acts chapter 17. So start in verse number 23. Now, here's a wonderful example of how Paul did it. Because some of you might be saying, well, pastor preached, pastor said the other day that, that, that their testimony is not important. How many know I never said the testimony wasn't important? What I said was, if you want to quote me, quote me right, that your testimony must be within the context of the gospel message, which is rooted in the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where your conscience. So give me a testimony, but don't don't stop there. 
You got to take it all the way because they need to be convinced with more than just your testimony. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? They have to have the power of God. Now look at this. So, so Paul here, this is a perfect example. I want everybody to look at me for a second. So this is a perfect example of the Apostle Paul who meets the people where they are, and then he brings them right to the resurrection. It's amazing how he does it, man. I mean, this is, I mean, this is the perfect example. Y'all are going to see exactly what I'm talking about. So Paul then finds himself in Athens, which was a place, was basically a universal place. Universalism reigned in this place. He had all kind of sex gods and all kind of false gods all over the place. And so Paul was right up in there. And understand, Paul's argument was, I need to get away. His argument was, I need to get away from these heathen folks. Paul walked right up in there and all that sin, all right? And Paul met them where they were and then took them to where they needed to be. Let's look at this thing. I'm going to show you here in a moment. So look at verse number 23 in the book of in Acts chapter 17. For I was passing through. This is Paul talking. Y'all see with me? Say amen. Paul said, I was passing through and I was considering the objects of your worship. <laughs> so he's not blind. He's seeing this thing now. He, he said, I'm walking through, man. And because Paul was walking in the spirit. See, everywhere that Paul went, Paul was thinking, God is with me. How many know that everywhere you go, you're on assignment? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? But you got to walk like you're in assignment. I don't care where you, some of us, how much time do we spend at work generally? A week. Not probably more than 40 hours when you put in the traffic time. Come on. You're on an assignment right on your workplace. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, church? Paul then, Paul's walking through Athens, man, and he sees, man, he's like checking this thing out, and he's in the spirit realm, he's praying, he's like, wow, look at this. But Paul is taking note, he's, he's being watchful, and I can hear Paul in the back of his mind, he's praying as he's walking through the city. He's praying. Watch, and he says, watch this. He says, therefore, he said, now verse 23, for I was passing through your city, and considering the objects of your worship, I, and, and, I, and, I, and I found an altar with this inscription. This is where Paul meets them where they are. To the unknown God. So they had an altar erected. And they had on the altar, it said, to the unknown God. In other words, whatever God you want to believe, we don't know who he is. We don't know what he's like. But this is it. Come worship right here. Y'all get this. So Paul says, now I, he walked through the city. He said, and I see it. Y'all got an inscription to the unknown God. And, and what did Paul do? Paul is amazing. Paul says, watch this. He said, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, him, I'm going to, I'm going to proclaim him to you. In other words, I'm going to give you some context because you don't know who he is. But guess what? I've come now to let you know who it is, who it is that you should be worshiping. Watch this now. So watch this. So God, who made the world, verse 24, and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So y'all see how Paul landed foundation here, right? Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he need anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Come on, say amen, church. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell, look at this, to dwell on all the face of the earth. And has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries in their dwellings. So Paul is letting them know, even though y'all might think y'all know who's in charge, let me tell you who's really in charge. See, see, God is running the thing. That's why we sing that song this morning, Our God Reigns. See, this is, this is where it comes from right here. Verse 27. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him, though he is not far from each one of us. Watch this now. 
Verse 28, for in him, now watch, now Paul is preaching. Everybody say Paul preaching. Come on, say, say it. Say Paul is preaching. That's all Paul is doing. Paul is preaching right now. He's telling him, he's preaching him. But watch how you bring this thing back around. For in him we live, move, and have our being. And if you're a Christian, you get, you get excited about that, right? For in him we live, move, and have our being. Hallelujah. Then watch this. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, good God, is like gold or silver or stone. How many know that we don't worship gold and silver and stone? Hallelujah. But, but, but we worship the true God who is in heaven. And the divine nature is not like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by the art and man's devising. But look at this. Verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance... God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, you see, Paul meets them where they are. He said, okay, you're worshiping something you don't understand. Let me give you some context for that. So he meets them where they are. And now he begins to tell them that you are accountable now to God or, in essence, to Jesus Christ. Why? Now, let's keep reading. Because, verse 31, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. Now, get it. In righteousness by that man. Who is that man? Come on. Who is that man, church? Come on. Who is that man? Come on, church. Who is that man? Y'all say it like you're scared. Who is that man? Jesus. Come on. Who is that man? Jesus. Come on. If you, if you, listen, if you're afraid to say it in here, the Lord knows what you're going to do out there. Look, look. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance to him by raising him. Watch. Watch this. He has given assurance. Watch how Paul does it now. Because he's saying now, you're all going to be accountable to him. He's appointed a day that he's going to judge. And watch this. And God has validated him, have given him credibility by what? Here it is. By raising him from the what? Y'all get it? Paul meets them where they are. See, your testimony, a lot of times, it opens the door. It meets people where they are. Because your testimony generally is something that people can relate to, right? You know, I was drinking, I was smoking, I was having sex, da-da-da-da-da, and I was doing all these crazy things. Then God moved. You, you follow what I'm saying? Whatever you were doing before you got saved, right? And so, so your testimony can open the door. So Paul meets them where they are, and then Paul brings it right back down. He said, look, he brings it right to this point. God has given assurance. So in other words, y'all can believe everything that this guy, Jesus says, because he got up from the grave. That's the validation. And watch that in verse 32. And when they heard of the what? The resurrection of the dead. Uh-oh. That's an all hell broke loose. Like, wait a minute. Some start mocking. Like, whatever, dude. Like, seriously. And then others said, they got mad and said, we're going to hear you again on this matter. This is ridiculous. Because they knew they could not find the body. And, and church, all I'm trying to say is, don't listen, people are going to get saved, but you, you just can't, can't give them a testimony without talking about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Because that's what's going to save them. Are you hearing me? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so Paul, Paul, in a very crafty way, Paul preached. Paul said, look, I'm going to show you. He met them where they were, and then he just easily brought them around. To Jesus, and he says, you know what, and, and, and we can believe everything this Jesus said because you've got to believe in Jesus to get saved. Believing in me ain't going to get you saved. Believing in my testimony ain't going to get you saved. you got to believe in him. And why, why should I believe in him? 
because God raised him from the what? Dead. So you can, you can believe everything this guy says. And, and those who were there, they knew, they were upset about it, and they just couldn't stand it because they knew, man, if we can just find a body. And how many know they're still trying to find a body, but he ain't here? <laughs> uh, oh, he rose again. For, it ain't here, baby. He's up there, and watch this, church, and he's coming back. And, and look at the neighbor and say, he's coming back. Yeah, yeah, he's coming back. He's coming back. Get ready. Get, like G.D. Jackson, get ready, get ready, get ready. I can't do it like him. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. You know what he just said? I can't do that, but, you know, I stay within my own anointing. That ain't me. But when he said that, man, it was like something amazing happened. So the normal, the normal question would be, okay, so somebody would say, well, if he rose again from the dead, he coming back and all this, and you saying all this, then what's, what's taking so long? Where is he at? <laughs> Jude even addressed this issue. He says in, in Jude 1, Verses 16 and 18, he says, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. In other words, whatever they fashion up in their own mind to be a God, that's what it is, their own lust. Believe what they want to believe. I'm going to believe what I, uh, look, look, I'm going to make up my own salvation. I know you got them out there, don't you? They just make up, they make it up, boy. Make it up as they go. I'm going to make it up. According to their own lust. They, they, uh, and they, they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage, lying to folks. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostle and our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. How do you know that we're in this generation? There are mockers right now. They're mockers. But they are mocking. But, but how do you know that they mocked Jesus when he was on that cross? Do you remember they mocked him? But they mocked him. But how do you know that Jesus stayed up there, didn't he? Because he was merciful to them. And when they killed him, he let it happen because he knew that I had to die so that I can rise again and give you life. How many know that's love? So, so the only reason why, here's what you tell people. People ask that question, what's taking so long? You need to memorize this verse. Second Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us that are not willing that any should perish, but all come to uh, repentance. Here's the reason why that he hasn't come just yet is because how many know that he loves us? He loves people. He's waiting. That's the only reason why earth and time is still remaining today. The only reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet, because he's already know who the last person going to be before he becomes back and snatches up out of this place. We call that the rapture. He already knows. And so it's his love. God is not slack concerning his promise. If some of you might see me, but past has been a long time. Praise God. You know what? That means you, if you got too much time to think about that, then that means we ain't busy enough. Get busy preaching the gospel, helping people come to the light, and then time will go by much quicker. Amen. Amen. Nobody wanted to hear that, but that's the truth. Get busy preaching the gospel, and time will come by quicker. Stop sitting back waiting. You know, you ever, like, sit around sometimes, just wait, and you're waiting for something or somebody, and, and it seems like, man, time just goes slowly because you're just sitting there, you're just watching the clock. When it going to come back? When it going to come back and you get busy? You know, my wife was gone. There'll be days I'd be sitting there. You know, I'd be just watching. Oh, and, and then it dawned on me. Boy, get busy. <laughs> get up. Do something. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Because the time will fly when you're busy doing God's work. Y'all hear what I'm saying, church? We're busy doing God's work. We don't have time. We don't have time to be idle and worry about it. Because here's the thing. All I'm trying to get you to see this morning, church, 
is that the resurrection is critical and essential to getting people saved. And I'll leave a lot of people getting, are not getting right with God because we're giving them half the truth. We're not, we're not bringing it on. We're not closing the door. We got to close it. The resurrection closed the door because it gives credibility. Now I know that Jesus. See, if people, and I've learned this as a pastor sometimes when people come up here and they would quote unquote give their life to Jesus. And here's one of the things I've discovered is sometimes they'll come up here because I asked them to come up here. And it's the right thing to do. But in the end, that don't last long if they haven't really been converted because here's what happened. You don't, see them, you don't see them back in church because something happened inside of them. They're not really convinced that Jesus really is who he says he is. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I may have gave them a good testimony. I may have said some great words, but somehow they weren't led to Christ because when you're truly led to Christ, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You do, thing as, you do things in such a way you know you're accountable to him. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So when I serve God, I don't, you don't, listen, when you serve God, you don't serve God as unto me. Because that'll get old real quick. Because you'll be like, I ain't, if your contact is, I'm doing a capacity, you're wrong. But when you understand I'm serving him and I'm accountable to him, oh boy, that changes everything. So when people understand that, yeah, I'm here to lead you and point, your testimony don't just stop people with you. Your testimony, your life lead people to him. That's the resurrection. Every head is bowed. Your eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your word today.